All right, guys. Uh, this is the lockdown lowdown. Welcome back. Um, you know, joined as usual by Alex Pope and the incomparable Andrew Supart, everybody. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, basically, uh, we are doing No Time to Die, uh, with, uh, which is the final installment of the Daniel Craig uh, James Bonds. This one was directed by Kerry Fukunaga, and the screenplay was by Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, uh, Fukunaga himself, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I probably mispronounced every Destroyed single one of those, of those names. names. But that's okay, man. At least you at least sure. acknowledged some people behind the scenes with that. I acknowledge it every single time. You know. Oh me. yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, so basically. I, I would say that this was a very controversial installment of 007. Um, I'm interested to get your your th thoughts on it there, Stuart. Well, before, before you even now, get this, into this it, is, I... before I, before you say anything, this is going to be a spoiler cast. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So if you have not seen this movie, this is a very um, spoilery sensitive movie. Oh, for <laughs> so, sure. For sure. You're probably not going to want to uh, tune into this podcast yeah. right away if you haven't yeah. seen it. Um, everybody dies in the end. Pretty so, much. Uh, you just summed it up, man. <laughs> no, so, so I have to reiterate that Alex is 100% correct. Like walk away right now because this is um, this is a pretty big one. And uh, I guess I have to ask you, Alex, were you left shaken or stirred with this one? I have to admit, I was a little bit stirred. You were a little bit stirred. Okay. I, I, I agree. I was stirred. shaken, but not stirred. But I, um, uh, I was a little stirred. I was stirred. <laughs> I was stirred in a good way, though. I really enjoyed this one. Um, I know where you're coming from, where you think, where you're going to say it's controversial. But I think knowing that it was time for Daniel Craig to retire and uh, move away from this franchise, I thought this was a great send-off. It was an uh, action-packed um, flick. You can enjoy your popcorn. Just you know, enjoy those special effects. Some awesome environments. Some um, a fantastic performance again by Daniel Craig, but also by his um, counterpart, his his arch nemesis in this one, the evil um, Rami Malek. Who was it was interesting to see Rami Malek play a Bond character after seeing him in Bohemian Rhapsody as the lead of. Um, of um, Freddie Mercury in the biopic, and it's it's such a contrast. And he pulled he, he pulled it off so well. He was a fantastic Bond villain to to um, to send off to send Craig off, you know, into retirement. And I thought it was a well executed film all around with some really nice throwbacks. But uh, that that's my two cents. But I'm interested to to hear. Uh, I think I think on social media you had mentioned that it was quote unquote, by you know based on the Simpsons meme worst episode ever <laughs> i think i i don't i don't know if i really thought that out that much maybe not the worst episode ever um i'll, I'll sort of start off with the good i think the uh the pre-credit sequence where you know there's this kind of like horror-esque scene yeah where where you've got um uh what's his name again uh, uh Saffin, Saffin yeah. with mask and he's like basically this this little girl um uh, madeline uh you know she's sort of like left left to her own devices her mom yep. is kind of 
you know, an alcoholic and she's killed right away by, by Safin. Safin is basically out for revenge because, um, uh, Madeline's father is Mr. White. Mr. White, and he was from Quantum of Solace. Quantum of Solace. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, basically, they're, you know, you know, she's sort of like pitted against this guy at a very young age, yeah. and there's this very intense scene where she she sort of runs out onto the ice and crashes through the ice, and there's this really cool scene where he sort of like spares her life. Um, you know, and, and she manages to shoot him and stuff like that. Um, she did shoot him in the heart and they never really explained why he kind of survived that. Uh, one of the many plot holes in this movie, but that's just kind of part of the deal when it comes to 007. You know, you got to have at least five or six plot holes yeah but you know what they just come with the territory and i mean look at look at the more films not only do you have to have plot holes plot holes but you have to have some like you know these one-liners and and daniel craig is he does bring the one-liners throughout his entire tenure but think about you know even like roger moore and some of his one-liners as well like there's that certain um there's certain things you expect with bond the one-liners the uh the gadgets um, in this case, like that that uh, villain near coming death, but but to the point where you think that they're going to die, and it looks pretty damn lethal, and then they come back in the future. You know, you see them, you know, twenty years later, and they're still breathing. So there's certain there are certain elements on these films that we always expect. Plot holes are definitely one of them. But again, all around, like I just like to, you know, true Bond fans, true Bond fans are masters of the suspension of disbelief this is it this is a suspension of disbelief (laughs) just go in there enjoy the parts that you enjoy whatever other things are there that you don't like just kind of ignore it like those plot holes you know like what what did you think of the uh the credit sequence the title sequence it was okay it wasn't my favorite one like it wasn't like a mind-blowing you know groundbreaking uh performance by any means and it didn't really do that much for me it was decent um, something that I think was a lot better in the in the in the uh, Daniel Craig um, run was uh, you know Adele with Skyfall. That was a really epic song, an epic performance, and she just she crushed it um, with Skyfall, and it was well written, like well um, composed that song as well. But this one, yeah, it just compared to Skyfall, it just didn't do it yeah. do it for me. You didn't like Billie Eilish? It was yeah, it was so so. It was so so. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe we're getting old or something like that, and and the kids would appreciate it more. I don't know. Still better, still better than um, "Die Another Day," Madonna. Yeah. I just thought like you're attaching oh, you're God. attaching Madonna to the last Pierce Brosnan one before they had that small hiatus. Because you have to remember, um, no time. Sorry, uh, "Die Another Day" came out in two thousand two. That was Brosnan's last film before we picked up with. Um, Casino Royale and Daniel Craig in 2006. So there was that four-year hiatus there. And man, did Madonna and the composers blow it with that song. Like, I like Madonna. Like, she's, you know, she's, she's you know, the, a pop culture icon who doesn't appreciate Madonna now and then, but she blew it with that song. So compared to, say, that, um, it was still better. Yeah, I, I thought the uh, visuals in this in this title sequence for No Time to Die was... Was pretty impressive. I, I thought it was really cool, and there was a lot of sort of throwbacks to other Bond films, which yeah, you don't always you don't always see that. And and I kind of liked how they tied in some imagery from 
uh, Her Majesty's Secret Service, yeah, and yeah. Uh, there was even like a, a Thunderball thing where you've got yeah. the scuba diver, yeah. and stuff like that. And and just generally, like just technically speaking, it's really impressive. Like I, I mean, you know what they're able to do with just like computer graphics and com computer imagery these days. It's it's really stunning. It also reminded me a little bit of the GoldenEye uh, title sequence as well. Um, which is the a, technical abilities at the time of the people? The uh, of yeah, the... just kind of like the mood and the colors and everything like that. It, it reminded me a lot of, uh, of that title sequence, which is one of my favorites. Yeah, so, yeah. So no, Goldeneye, Goldeneye's great, um, especially like, was it 1965, Goldeneye? Hmm. Yeah, 19, let's say it's 1965, okay? Really like uh, ahead of its time in terms of some of the manipul um, image manipulation that they had to do. They didn't have CGI back then, so that was all done manually. Whereas this one, obviously, the, the um, visual effects people, the computer... Um, CGI people, they have this tech, this robust technology in front of them at their fingertips. So it, it gets a little bit easier, but I have to take a step back and just say, when I was criticizing this opening, I was talking purely about the song itself. When it comes to the visuals, I do agree with you. So if you split it up and look at just the visual side of it, I love as to your point, like from a technical perspective, what they are able to achieve but then also yeah there's a little bit of um nostalgia in there so i 100 agree um yeah those it, and it really um you know set us up for the expectation that there would be some some other callbacks in this film um because it was you know the the end of the the uh, craig um run i guess there was a lot of motivation there to to really go out with a bang and and so I'm, I, something that I really enjoyed was um, we have all the time in the world as sort of the, um, the main score at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so so uh, basically just going back to the plot here, um, Madeline and Bond, you know, flash forward 20 years later after, after the initial incident, um, you know, they're obviously together. They're having a very nice time in Italy or something like that. Is it Italy or I, I don't even know. Um, and basically, uh, Madeline insists that Bond goes and vi visits uh, Vesper Lynn's tomb. Yeah. And uh, when he goes to the tomb, he's basically ambushed by um, by some baddies. Uh, what did you think of this scene? I, I love how you're just re reading right off of uh, Wikipedia as we do yeah. it. It's like when you have a kid, you only have like like minus five minutes to prepare. So I could tell, I can see you like looking up. See the movie. I did see. The I know movie. you saw the movie, but it's just like I can see no, you like not, looking it's up. Not Wikipedia. It's actually notes. It's, okay, it's you there. have notes. Fair enough. Fair enough. I take that back. It just looked like you're yeah. reading like off Wikipedia, like as we're doing it. No, I thought I thought the the post it's bad but it's not that bad i i thought that the sort of the first act there and i forget the name of the place too to be honest i i just looked it up but it's kind of like a um old europeans like kind of what would you call it like village old european village yeah. uh anyways no i thought it was a great um i pardon me they're just having a lovely time they're having Very a lovely time no it was a very picturesque location 
um, some stunning visuals. And it was great to start the film, like after that, after the credits, like jumping right here into act one, which with such um, a lovely backdrop, very romantic. Um, you have this couple, James Bond is, you know, usually J James Bond is like a love him and leave him kind of guy, but you can see he's like in that stable relationship the same way he was with Tracy in um, Honor Majesty's Secret Service when he does get married and you know how tragic that was. And then you combine that with um, with the same music that was used in, in uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And you have that, and it's kind of like paying tribute to Tracy Bond from that film, you know, 50 years ago. And, uh, and you this, this couple, she, he's finally um, happy in this couple and he's in love. And then all of a sudden, um, as you said, like he gets uh, ambushed by these baddies. And, and why, why are they throwing back to Vesper Lynn from uh, Casino Royale? I don't um, know. Because it's, it's, an, it's, it's, again, it's a tribute to him being married back in, in the, in the sixties uh, in, uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service is the whole idea is of that visiting. The same character? Is no, it? it's not, but it's the whole idea of him visiting the grave because in a later, I think Roger Moore, one of the Roger Moore films or the Timothy Dalton films, he goes and visits Tracy Bond's grave. So mm. it's it's kind of like we've seen Bond get married. We've seen him subsequently go visit the grave in a later movie. Now we're seeing that again with, with Vespa. I can I can appreciate them just like trying to take a second just to show that Bond is a is a human being human. and uh, yeah. has feelings and, and stuff like that. I can appreciate that. Vesper Lynn specifically, of, of all the Bond girls, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I didn't really, you know, feel like, I, I didn't understand why like that was like such a big deal, but I, well, I think it was because they we want him, him to be so emotionally attached to this and, and have and think deeply about his past to to the fact mm. that it would motivate him enough to go to that specific location so they could ambush him. You know, there's a bit of emotion there. And yeah. and then for him and then for him to get near have a near death experience where he almost gets his head blown off at this yeah. uh, at this tomb and then and then immediately questioning his own relationship that was pretty powerful and then for him to send her off on the train yeah um, that and we're, and we're introduced to this character primo uh who yeah. has this bionic eye yes and yes correct me if i'm wrong he's the one that tells bond that uh that madeline is the daughter of specter yeah of yeah. specter agent yeah um and and I I like this uh, turn of events. I thought that uh, Bond uh, that Daniel Craig played it very well. Like like in, incredibly angry with Madeline, just like oh, super. Yeah. Cool. Um, I did, however, feel that that like this this was a moment where um, you know if it was Bond back in the day, he would have definitely given you know definitely smacked her or something like that and I was I, it just like it's funny how it kind of like reminded me of some of those uh, uh some of those old bond scenes you know what I mean it's like yeah, that it's was like, those moments where like he was like so pissed off but it's like no wait a minute it's uh it's the 21st century he's gonna chill <laughs> I mean, I know, I know you love uh, your domestic violence scenes, Alex, but uh, for me, I felt there was not, it was not necessary to have uh, domestic abuse and, you know, for the, for this simple um, point of just having it, you know what I mean? So 
exactly. I'll do it. You know, it's, yeah. it's really sad. It's really sad that we've come this far, but uh, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> no, but seriously though, um, no, I, 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 I love that whole opening and it, it really, you know, between that scene and the, and the opening po uh, pre-credit scene, the whole thing just, you know, gets you hooked. Um, both of those, the, uh, and, and, and it really sets you up for um, a roller coaster of a film. Yeah, absolutely. It was just an incredible beginning. Um, yeah, uh, so yeah, we had the opening sequence. Next up is the uh, 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 meeting up with Felix later. Lighter? Yeah. Lighter, 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 lighter. Yeah, Felix Lighter. Um, that was pretty cool to see yeah. uh, Felix Lighter playing more of an important role in this film. Yeah. It's always sort of, uh, he's always sort of a, a very small character in the Bond movies, but it seemed like he was almost more integral to the plot in this one. Yeah, fair uh, enough, fair enough. One, one, yeah, of the yeah. films where, one of the films where I really like Felix was actually in License to Kill. Um, one of the only, oh, sorry, one of uh, the two Dalton McGinty, sorry, let's, let's take that back. Dalton McGinty's a politician. Timothy Dalton, let's try that again. This is, it was <laughs> cut, 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 cut. All right, pick it up. I'm gonna, this is an edit point in the podcast. So what I was going to say, um, License to Kill really um, gave uh, Felix a little bit more of an opportunity um, to be in the foreground and you have that whole scene with him in the shark in the shark tank you remember that mm -hmm. License to kill so I thought yeah I thought the same thing about this one it was nice to see Felix have a fairly significant um, contribution in this film and and um, kind of they, they're they're working with that uh, that double agent yeah um, and then seeing him struggling underwater at the end that was pretty powerful as well yeah absolutely um, so, uh, so yeah, then we have, um, uh, Christoph Waltz. Yes. As, uh, Blofeld. So, yes. so the buildup to this scene was really cool. I thought, I thought it was amazing. Blofeld sort of like coming down the hallway yep. in the last, like, it looks like a phone booth type of thing, yep. but it's on rails, I guess. Um, you know, I, I guess he's very, very dangerous, uh, you know, he can't be let out of his little tiny cage. It's a little uh, bit, uh, it's a little bit Silence of the Lambs-esque, don't you think? Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking, Silence of the Lambs. Um, yeah, and, and, and it was like a really cool buildup, um, kind of a lackluster performance at the end of the day. I mean, I, I don't think there was really much he could do with the script, though. I mean, it's yeah. like... Uh, so, yeah, so um... Like, I, I think they could have punched up the script a little bit more to really um, milk milk everything they could out of his performance. He's he's a gifted actor. We talked about him during the Tarantino um, podcast that we did with Misha a couple months back and his performances in Inglorious Bastards as well as the, not not the Hateful Eight, what was he, uh, Django Unchained. And, and yeah. so we, we're used to seeing him in these highly um, sort of, Melod, not melodramatic, but like larger than life type roles, and mm -hmm. and well, and while a Bond villain is larger than life, um, you can tell that he definitely wasn't the main focus of this film. The main focus in terms of an antagonist in this film, one hundred percent, was Remy 
uh, Malik's character. And Blofeld, while he does have, he is significant to the plot, very significant to the plot. Um, I agree, it was a bit lackluster, their performance, and, and, and um, they, they could have done a little bit more to make it a little bit more dramatic, I think. And when you kill a character like Blofeld, um, it should be a much bigger deal than oh, it for was. For sure. For sure. And, 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 you know, so he basically leans in. Um, we've gotten things a little bit out of order here, but but uh, um, Daniel Daniel Craig, James Bond, has been infected by the nanobots, yeah. and uh, basically leans in and and touches Blofeld, and just yeah. by touching him, the nanobots kill him instantly. Um, you know, it just really didn't seem to matter that much to yeah. the plot. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you kill a major character like that, um, you know, it, it it needs to have more of an impact. Needs to be like some. You know, they need to. It's kind of like in I forget which one. It wasn't Vito a kill. It was one of those. It was I think it was a Roger Moore one where uh, he's in the wheelchair. You remember that scene where he's in the wheelchair and there and there's the helicopter picks him up and drops him over the uh, the um, smokestack. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I did see that. Yeah, no, it's one of those ones where we only see him from the back, and Blofeld has survived time and time again in these Roger Moore films, in these Connery films, uh, and then and then we have this this scene where we think he's dead, but what's happening is the helicopter comes in, lifts up, lifts him up by grabbing underneath the arm of his wheelchair, and and Bonds in the helicopter like you know twirling him around, and then and then lets him off like into a smokestack, and he you know, apparently falls to his grave. So compared to that scene, this one was a little bit lackluster. I agree. Um, but I do want to back up for a second because you mentioned we were going out of order. We don't, we don't have to do the whole thing yeah. in order necessarily. But yeah, I, but I did want to mention the, the technology um, that uh, Rami Malek and his terrorist organization are using in this one, the nanotechnology that's basically like uh, can, can look, you can program different strings of DNA um, mul multiple people's strings of DNA into this thing and have the the biological warfare, the the, the mm. biological agents only affect those who match up against that uh, those codes of DNA. So it was pretty. Um, what did you think of that as a plot device? Was I that thought it was a... cool. I know it was pretty far fetched, but again, like you said, you have to have a little uh, the ability to suspend your disbelief. And I thought it was a pretty cool forward thinking kind of. Um, 21st century kind of bond weapon bond you know weapon of mass destruction it was a little bit confusing at times like i'm trying to understand so so wait a minute so if you're infected uh it also mean so so you're infected but it can be programmed to kill only certain people with certain dna correct but it can also be family members of those people because the DNA, the DNA would have, be would have similarities, right? Like similar enough DNA, similar genes. Yeah, yeah. So no, I, I liked it, and I liked um, the whole. I'm totally skipping ahead, but this is relevant. I like the uh, secret hideout. Um, Rami Malek's secret hideout is the main Bond villain, and the the little factory. You're going way ahead. You're going way ahead. Let's talk about Havana first. Okay. 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 The Jamaica Havana scene. I thought. I thought that. Um, uh, Anna Darmus was a fantastic character, excellent Bond woman. Yeah, Bond girl. Um, you know they're they're basically working together. Um, you know in the CIA, uh, the, uh, 
you know, Felix has sort of like brought uh, James Bond back into service. Yeah. Um, they're working together on this assignment in Havana. Um, you know, like the, it was just like, just such an awesome uh, sequence where they're, they're at this, uh, you know, they have to go to this party and the party turns out to be all Spectre agents. Yeah. Uh, James Bond is the guest of honor. Uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, and, and, you know, basically Blofeld is there through his bionic eye yeah. and everything like that. Very cool. And oh, great. great character, um, you know, basically assisting James Bond in this part of the movie, like excellent energy on camera and, you know, her choreographed fight sequences were just unreal. Uh, they were so good. Yeah. Uh, only thing is like it just kind of like left me wanting more it's like where's Anna de Armas to like save the day in the final act or something like that I don't know I would have liked to see more of her but uh, aside from that you know it was, it was a great uh, great part of the movie so the more I'm hearing you speak it the more I'm thinking that you really didn't mind this movie that much because again the initial reaction that that you had was a little bit more negative. And again, maybe you were over, you were exaggerating a little bit, but the more you're talking, the more I can see that there are, that you're in agreement that there's a lot of great characteristics of this movie. I, I will say I got my money's worth going to see this movie. It yeah. was entertaining as every Bond film should be, um, but it fell apart in the third act. Okay, like, fair, enough. Fell, fair enough. It, the third act was garbage. It was like, this jumbled mess of writing thrown up on screen. It seemed like last minute. I don't know. Maybe they spent all their money, all their budget on all the stunts and, and the writing for the first part of the movie. And then they just <laughs> never, you know, no, I, we'll, we'll get there. As I said, as, as you had mentioned, I was jumping ahead a little bit, but we'll, I just want to go back to, I forget her name. Help me out. The new James, the new 007. Her actress oh, no. Name. Oh yeah. We have to talk about Nomi. Yeah, Nomi. But what's the actress's name again? Um, I have it here. It is uh, Lashana Lynch. Oh yes, Lashana Lynch. Lashana Lynch in the debut as the first female 007 and the first yeah. uh, woman of color to play 007 as well. So very big yeah. milestone. And I, you know what? I was a little bit worried going into this because we had done a podcast a little while ago about cancel culture or, or a, you know, that sort of thing. And about the idea that, you know, Bond's a very like sixties um, type character. He's a womanizer. He's uh, you know, your typical like white cisgender male who's like, you know um, heterosexual, all that sort of stuff. And like, it's very, and, and a lot of stuff he got away with back then with the womanizing and all that sort of stuff. It's, yeah. you know, it, when you, when you have to translate Bond to the 21st century, things are going to change. And I was a little bit worried about that because I'm expecting Bond to be a uh, charismatic uh, type of character, kind of like a Pierce Brosnan or Daniel Craig, like those, they were well cast for what they were supposed to be. So I was, I was kind of nervous to see what they would do, but I'm glad that they kept Daniel, that they kept James Bond as James Bond. It's not as if they reinvented the character of James Bond to be a black female it just so happens that the new person who inherited the title of or the rank of 007 happened to be an agent who was a black female so it's not as if yeah. they reinvented the james bond character it's just an, it's just introducing a new character with that 007 um title so i thought they did a good job of 
of bringing this franchise into the 21st century without ruining the James Bond character that we've known for 60 years. Now, but the question I have is, is like, is Nomi the next James Bond? Is, like a couple of years or two or three years from now, when they come out with another James Bond, is she going to be 007? If that's the case, um, from what I saw in this film, uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really seeing the the draw. I'm not seeing the appeal. Um, I don't know. Did, like, was there something about her her performance or her character or personality that that was really like something captivating that you would want to go see uh, a feature length movie about? Um, I don't know. So I I have to say that, you know, again, we're used to this charming womanizer with the, with the cool gadgets and the cool cars and that, that cool collected um, kind of James Bond character that we saw with, um, with Sean Connery or Daniel Craig, a little bit cold as well. Like I really like, you know, I remember, you know, Sean Connery being like the cold calculated kind of killer guy who didn't care. So to that extent, I guess that said, like, I'm a, I am I don't know, like, what direction they would take her character. She's obviously not going to mimic those performances. She has to be her own person. If they continue with her in this franchise as the new 007, she has to make it her own. She can't rely on the people that came before her in those roles. She has to play this as a brand new character. And maybe we'll see something. Maybe, maybe if she's brought in again to the next one. We'll see some um, some more character development, some bigger story arcs, sorry, character arcs, I should say, and struggles that she has to overcome. But in this one, don't forget, she was not like the star. She was supporting, right? Um, but what I do like about her, um, even in this one, is that she's like badass and she does not take shit, man. Not even from Daniel Craig, not even from James Bond. Like she is in control when it comes even to Daniel Craig she's the alpha and remember he had to hold on to her on the motorcycle was that not correct uh it's not coming to mind off the top of my head but yeah i don't know he was on the motorcycle but she was driving so she was in the driver's seat of the motorcycle and it was if i'm if i'm getting that correct as the correct character i'm pretty sure it was her but anyways you can tell that she's like um a badass chick and like yes i thought i thought she was a great addition to the film yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I liked the adversarial kind of relationship that they had, you know, just sort of like, <clears throat> you know, obviously there was some uh, inferiority complex in both of the characters about sort of like giving up the title of 007. Or, yeah. or, you know, 007 should have been retired if, if James Bond was really that great and that well thought of. Uh, they wouldn't have given his number to another person um you know like it was it was some interesting drama it was good um but like if she was the character that was going to carry the franchise for the next 10 years um i just i don't see like what what the appeal is for bond fans um to to go back i i don't know i just like there wasn't that that magnetic personality uh and charisma that that it's the whole reason why the Bond franchise exists. Yeah. Um, no, and yeah. I agree. And that's why I, that's why I called but, out Sean. But that, being said, but that being said, I don't feel that Daniel Craig was nearly as magnetic as, as the, the ones that came before him anyways. So I don't know. Who, what, so, I mean, that's a whole other episode that we did. I personally <laughs> like um, 
Daniel Craig because he does have some elements of Sean Connery in him in terms of being like the cold <laughs> Bond. Because I mean, Roger Moore's like the campy Bond, and he's he's always like relying on those like really terrible like '60s flamboyant jokes like to carry him along. But uh, just like the terribly written jokes and like the one-liners. But uh, with Sean Connery and Daniel Craig, they do have some similarities. And um, it's, I, I really, I think, I think that they're, they're my top two favorites. But uh, to your point, like I, you know, it, she's not that. She is not that type of person. She's her own character. And I wonder if they're just trying to like, quote unquote, get with it in the 20th century and like trying to broaden their, audience because don't forget the more people who can get behind a film for being progressive let's say your audience you're trying to reach more progressive people the more money you're going to make like the wider the wider range of of audience that you appeal to right yeah i see what you're saying like i don't know i i i kind of feel like um like there's there should be more people of color on screen you know not every not every actor in every movie should look and talk the exact same way um, you know, we shouldn't use the exact same actors for, for every single movie, you know. Um, you know, it's good, like, I'm all for, all for that, but do we have to radically change our old favorites, um, you know, you know, change them from being a, a white guy to a black female? It's like a, a radically different audience. Um, yeah. It's a risky, it's a risky move. I hope it pays off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, or who knows? They might they might drop her all together and bring in Henry Henry Cavill and just like do a reboot where he where we just don't acknowledge the fact that he died in the last one. He's like reborn as as and it's just like you know you know you know like in the Terminator series where like you can watch Terminator Part Five and it and you and it and it comes direct and and the but the plot line actually is a continuation of Terminator Two. It's the same idea. You could just have Henry Henry Cavill and just pretend that that bond was never blown up by a missile on that island, you know? <laughs> I, I think that, that that's a perfectly reasonable way forward for the franchise. Um, somehow I doubt that that's going to happen. I, I think they are going to shake it up in terms of diversity and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. And, and I worry that, that because of that, it's going to fall flat uh, with their original fan base. Yeah. And, the, and it's not necessarily going to garner as many new fans uh from different demographics that they that they think that it will it's you know and it's possible because you're you're right there is a risk there because when people go see a bond film i mean the guy that i was sitting beside he was probably 60 years old so he's he's only 10 years younger than my dad my dad was a and my even my well, yeah, i was gonna say i was my brother but my brother's my age so let's take my dad as an example okay my dad was a fairly big bond fan not a, not a hardcore fan but he'd watched them all he had read all the novels he saw them in theater when they first came out like in real life like um and like that's not the bond she's not the bond that he grew up with right like this is so the the, the boomers the boomers who are these hardcore um bond fans kind of like the guy i was sitting beside in the movie theater who has had his popcorn and his nachos at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning um they're they're going to be disappointed right anyone who was like a fan of the ian fleming novels or the early bond films is going to be a little bit disappointed and it is a risk right so i mean we'll see what happens i don't want to speculate too much on like what the future of bond will be because we don't know um but you're right in the sense that like sometimes you it's it's really a tough line do you modernize and and try to make things more like woke 
and more diverse or do you stick with the classics like it's a it's a tough I, like i was all, all on board do you remember when uh, they were thinking about doing a spin-off for halle berry um, yes i thought yes. That, that was a great idea do a spin-off you know like it's a whole other um you know like a whole other avenue to go down yeah. where yeah. you can you can sort of test it out and see like is the is the audience there for that is it going to work yeah without necessarily just like completely changing um, your your signature product, which is uh, mascu- toxic masculinity. Pretty you much, know? man. You nailed it. You nailed the entire podcast in a couple sentences. Tox- toxic masculinity. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah. People, some That's what some people go to the movies for. And there's nothing wrong with that. So again, we'll see because we're, what we're doing is we're, we're dividing these audiences up and we're, and we're trying to cover new ground. But again, only time will tell to see what the franchise looks like in the next 5, 10, 15 years from now. Um, I want to talk, something I want to talk about um, now that we've covered like uh, the new 007 was just Rami Malek. Like I, I, I covered him a bit earlier, but what are you thinking about the, the final Bond villain up against uh, Daniel Craig? Um, I th- okay, so one of my problems with, and it's not him as an actor. I, th- I think as an actor, he did a stellar job. Um, the character motivation of, of Safin was the, was one of the things that, that made the movie kind of difficult for me to watch. You know, I'm, I'm really doing my best to suspend disbelief and everything like that. But, you know, like his, his backstory is that his family, his entire family was killed by Madeline Swan's father, uh, Mr. White. So he's basically on this whole revenge mission and is using these bionic robots in or, you know, in order to, to basically uh, take out Spectre and, you know, everybody involved. Um, you know, basically he's, he's on this revenge mission. Um, but then sort of towards the end of the movie, we find out, oh, wait a minute, he's, he's not just out for revenge. He also wants to infect the entire planet with these bionic robots. And they, I don't really feel like they ever kind of explained like what, like, where's this chip on his shoulder come from? Like, why does he want to infect the entire world? I get the I get the revenge yeah. plot line. like that makes sense, uh, but yeah, the character motivation was a little bit off there. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and and you know what? But I've come to expect again that some of these guys are just batshit crazy. Like look yeah. at blow look at like the legacy Blofeld, like the, the from the from the sixties and seventies. You have um, uh, strong strong strong. What's his name? Strongbow whatever the guy's name, uh, you know, from, from um, Spy Who Loved Me. Anyways, the, the underwater layer guy, you know, what I'm talking about, he has his underwater layer. Yeah. You're not supposed to ask these questions. You're not supposed to ask where did all the money come from so that you can have this big underwater layer. Uh, and same thing in this movie, you're not supposed to ask, okay, how do you have this massive a uh, submarine bunker base on a disputed island between China yeah, and Japan. Yeah. Don't you think yeah, that that would be yeah. problematic to have this base like on a disputed island? Um, yeah. How does that work? I, I don't know. Anyways, you're no, not. The point is to- like, 
Houston. The point I was making, not only do you not wonder where the money came from, how they raised the capital to have these like, you know, multi-million dollar like layers or whatever that with state-of-the-art technology and cloaking devices and all this crazy shit. But I just also, the whole point I was going to make is like some of them are just crime pays. Crime pays. Crime pays. But also um, a lot of them are just batshit crazy and they want world domination. I think that's like, I think that's all you need. Like, these yeah. Bond characters are not supposed to be like deep, like in a sense that they're not, they're not like Shakespearean, like character, you know what I mean? Like they're just supposed to be they're art. You know, yeah. They're just supposed to be evil and fucking crazy. You know what I mean? Exactly. Two dimensional, evil, crazy guy with a questionable background and character motivation, whatever. Doesn't matter. <laughs> so, there, so there's that. Um, you know, basically, like in in these sort of final scenes it's also kind of revealed to us that that uh um, madeline's daughter matilde uh is james bond's daughter um, correct and it's it's kind of clunky how they go about it like there's some sort of like there's some sort of insinuation that yes she is his daughter but earlier in the movie she had kind of a funny line saying she's not yours and like we're kind of like left wondering um i don't i don't really know what that's all about i think she was trying to hide it from him because she didn't want to like burden him or she didn't want to like bring the daughter into this this crazy lifestyle you know she didn't want to she wanted to protect the daughter from all the drama that is james bond that's the way that i read into it um, I, I thought it was really cool. Like, and to your point, like maybe it wasn't in the, the writing wasn't executed as well as it could have been in terms of like bringing this, not only this past love interest, but now this child um, into the story, which we've never seen before. Right. It's kind of like James Bond getting married. It never happens like, except for once in the whole franchise. Right. So it, it was interesting to bring that in at the end. It was an interesting element to introduce. And, and we see Bond, making this sacrifice in his final moments and having to sacrifice a, a life of possibilities, getting to know his daughter and being with Madeline and this, yeah, this ultimate sacrifice at the end. Um, but so I thought, I thought that was a cool um, piece, but I, I maybe would have been more interesting if we confirmed that she was the daughter a little bit earlier in the film. So it's not like one of those, like at the very end of the movie, like type of surprises, but I don't know, maybe it could have just yeah. been like, I don't know. What do you think, man? like yeah I, I don't know it was an interesting interaction and there's you know i guess you got to get people uh sort of like interested in the movie somehow and set it set it apart from other bond movies and and you know what other options do you have you know he has been married so yeah let's let's have him have a kid in this one um you know over overall it wasn't bad like but but at the very end like I think there was a lot of potential to use to have this uh, James Bond's daughter, um, you know, captured by Safin. Um, you know, there was a lot of potential for a lot of uh, intense drama there, and you're you're sort of like, holy shit! She, he just like stole this little girl from his mother, and and um, uh, Matilda, uh, sorry, Madeline. Um, the the actress that plays her, uh, uh, what is it, Leia Seydoux, um, does a does an excellent job of of sort of acting this out where 
you know, her, her child is just taken away from her and she's like, no, you can't take my baby away from me. And it's like this really powerful scene and it's like really building up to some intense drama. And sort of as he's carrying Mathilde down, down the hallway, um, she basically bites his arm and he's just like, oh, well, you know, if you're going to be like that, you know, just like, yeah, get that part was a little bit lame. I know where you're coming from. I know where you're coming from. And I think, I think that would be my criticism as well. Cause you have so much potential there. Um, the overall, as, as I said, the overall introduction of, of her as a character, very cool to, to write her in, but de- yeah, definitely like the yeah. that scene. I agree. Like, it's kind of like the death of Blofeld. It was like it easy out. It was it, it, easy was out a- and it was kind of like, yeah, our interaction with Christopher Waltz earlier, it could have been, sorry, Christoph Waltz. It could have been so much better. It could have been so much more melodramatic. It's, it could have been so much more effective. But so I and think then, I would categorize it. Uh, to follow that up, Mathilde then, I guess she like hides under a table or something like that. And then just like pure freak accident, um, you know, James Bond and Madeline are just sort of like walking through that room. And then she just like comes out from underneath the table and she's reunited with her, yeah. her parents. Um, eh, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like, that whole sequence was just pointless. Like it had potential and it was, and it ended up just being. Yeah. They could have heightened the drama with a, with a few more um, like close call type scenes with her potentially dying or something like that. But um, no, so let's no. Move I, let's move on to the final, uh, the death scene. Yeah. Yeah. No, I the love, I, I, I always love these um, close call moments where you're literally racing the clock and the, the bombs ticking down. And that, that's a key element of a Bond film is the, there's, there always seems to be at some point in these films or most of them anyway, that point where Bond has like literally 007 seconds left on this ticking time bomb and having to, to diffuse it in the just in the nick of time. That's like a key element of a Bond movie. And this was no different. He had to deactivate um, the, the, was it the, uh, the, the blast doors from closing, like the, the, the shield doors from closing? So that the, he had so to the, open the doors so that yeah. the missiles could come the in. Missiles could just, come in, yeah. And so I, it was that, it was like uh, exactly what we would expect in that regard from a Bond film. Um, and, and I, I like I'm glad that you brought up the the ticking clock because because what what is the ticking clock in this movie um, at the at the very end basically the, the plan is to disperse these bionic you know machines to to infect everybody in the world and uh, what happens um, you know after he kills Safin is that there's these boats that are that are coming for the island right these these two you know big like fast frigates that are that are coming to the island and I guess they're going to collect these bionic machines and then take them somewhere and spread them Uh, so he basically calls in an airstrike before these boats can arrive at the island yeah but I'm just thinking, like, if you can call in an airstrike to destroy the island, why can't you just call in the exact same airstrike and, and destroy the two boats before they reach the island? Is that crazy? Okay, Alex, you're just ruining the entire movie for me, buddy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know Christ, you're not man. supposed to. You're not supposed to think these things. You're but not I can't you're thinking it through way too much, man. If they can, <laughs> if James Bond can go into space 
and shoot blue lasers at astronauts, then um, then anything is possible. Obviously, I'm not a very good Bond fan. You're not, a, not obviously you're not a very big Moonranger fan if you're complaining about these little like plot holes in this one. Like for Christ's sake, yeah. Bond in space, man. That was like Moonranger Moon was like the most ridiculous of them all. So this one, I did, okay. I was able to suspend my disbelief in this one. And uh, I mean, they could have they could have de-escalated the situation in a million different ways, but the way that they chose to do it was basically nuke the shit out of this island. And uh, that left Bond in a difficult position. And he had to say, like, you know what, for the future of my family, for the future of the world, I need to make the ultimate sacrifice. So in terms of ways that they could have killed off Bond um, to have to have um, Daniel Craig exit this franchise, I thought this was a very cool way to do it, honestly. Eh, I don't know. I, I don't think it was so great. I thought, like, I mean, we already talked about how unceremonious uh, the the killing of uh, Blofeld was. I mean, this is like as unceremonious as it gets. Like, basically, you know, Bond, who who is just completely infallible. He's like, he's he's not even mortal. Like, it seems like he can just like survive anything, and he has this sheer determination. To get through any tough situation all of a sudden he's confronted with the fact that he's been infected with this this these bionic machines and all he does is basically ask q like okay so what's the deal with these machines and, and q basically says oh it's there's nothing you can do now once they're in your blood it's eternal yeah. there's yeah. nothing you can do and so no. like he just okay. automatically assumes okay well that's it i'm just gonna hang it up then you know, after all these years of, of defying the odds, he just, well, I guess that's it. <laughs> well, the know? way that I saw it was that you could almost take it to like a kind of biblical level in terms of like, think about those old biblical stories or those old myths, those old legends from hundreds, if not thousands of years ago, right? Where, you know, there's a plague, right? And so this is, this is a modern version of the plague. It's a modern version of that um, life-sucking plague yeah. that just that defects everyone yeah. around you. And the only way to get get rid of this um, this horrible plague is to have these this the you know the um, the elements come crashing down on you. I I kind of think of of uh, the missiles as like a modern version of like Zeus's thunderbolt. Not Zeus's thunderbolt. That's a little bit dramatic, but you know what I mean. Like like po the power of the heavens bringing down this almost infallible indestructible guy yeah i like could they not have just like figured out a way to like quarantine him and like maybe we can just like work on it we'll, we'll you know we'll put you in like a bubble for now and you won't touch anybody for the time being and, i mean we uh, can turn it into like we'll the, the, it would be like that episode of seinfeld the bubble boy yeah, exactly. You could just be the bubble boy. James Bond, I, the bubble boy, and then and then uh, Alexander, Jason Alexander, will come visit him in like uh, you know twenty years, right? No, um, I know what you mean. They could have found a way to preserve was, him somehow, whether it's with cryogenic freezing or <coughs> or or something like that. But uh, I just I think it was his time. I think Daniel Craig, he's actually older. I think he's actually older than Roger Moore was in A View to a Kill. And Roger Moore was actually the, the oldest Bond um, before Daniel Craig, who just broke that record with No Time to Die. 
So I think it's time for him to move on. And I think it's time in to bring in some, some fresh blood. Now, whether that should be this, um, this new 007 that we saw in this film, or maybe it's going to be Henry Cavill. Maybe it'll be a whole new uh, actor. We don't know what that'll be, but I think it's time, regardless, I think it's time to, to bring in someone new. I, I get it, uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> kind of a, a send off for Daniel Craig, but you know, just because you're retiring an actor doesn't mean you have to kill everybody's favorite character. That's, that's why I think that this was the worst James Bond ever. It's because you don't have to kill him. You don't have to do that. Um, it was completely unnecessary. Um, you know, it could have been his final installment and he could just ride off into the sunset. Um, it was just totally unnecessary in my opinion. And it was very unceremonious. Um, it didn't, I, I did not have any emotional reaction as a Bond fan um, to this happening. I was just kind of like stunned at the end of the movie. And I'm like, did I, did I just see what I thought I saw? Well, I wonder I if they're trying to just just change everything because it's that it's number 25. It's don't forget, it's been around for as of next year, 60 years. This thing is 60 years old, right? Like my dad was 11 years old when the first one came, no, 12 years old when the first one came out and he's now 71. So that what does that like visualize how long that's been on for, right? This franchise, he's bond number five, is he? I think he's like number five. You have Connery, uh, Lazenby, Moore, uh, Dalton, um, Brosnan. Okay, so number six. So he's Bond number six. It's been six decades. Like maybe, maybe this thing's coming to a close. Like I wonder if if they if they bring in um, what's her name Lynch's character, the new 007. Will it be a spinoff? Like I wonder if like is James Bond over? I guess is the larger question. Like is this franchise like done? And if we see this character and MI6 continuing on in the future, what will the title of that film franchise be? be? I, I just, I don't think so. It's not done because, um, you know, you know, from, from watching other cinematic universes that these things are extremely valuable these days. Um, uh, like basically like, uh, movie production places like, like, what do you call it? Disney and places like that. Like they, they've they value studios what the fuck it's uh, okay man you're a brand new dad you're not sleeping so basic words aren't coming to you tonight it's so all good man studios um treat these cinematic universes like gold because uh, it has a built-in audience and yeah. you don't you don't even have to try that hard on the next installment um because you know for sure that there's x amount of james bond fans out there and they will turn up and they will show up at the box office to to buy their ticket so um there's just th especially this day and age where you know these cinematic universes like star wars and everything like that are just so highly sought after by studios um there's no question we'll see more james bonds and it, and as far as i know this one was profitable it, it was a profitable movie so mm -hmm. it's not like it's doing poorly in the box office so that's the only reason it could ever really you know uh, be over as if people just don't buy tickets to go see it anymore that's true and you know what to their credit the movie industries had a very tough go i mean with everything um being digitized and streamed these days you can you have hbo you have crave you have netflix in this in the states you have hulu so there's so much at home viewing 
um, possibilities that you have at, you know, at, at the tip of your remote that it's, it's harder and harder to bring people into the theaters. Right. And Not to mention, this movie was postponed. What was it? Three times. It was postponed a couple times because of COVID. Right. And so what I was going to say is you had the postponement on the, on the production side, but then on top of that, because of COVID, these places only opened up to the public a couple months ago, like the cinemas, right? So there's there's a lot of different uh, challenges that the cinemas are going through um, right now. And so I, it is becoming harder to, to get eyeballs on these first runs, right? Like on the big screen. But you're right, for these big franchises, people will still come. People will still come to see James Bond. Mind you, some of the boomers are... I hate to say it's starting to die, but there's still a big base out there who does like James Bond. There's a huge base out there that likes, you know, Star Wars or Star Trek or, you know, Marvel. You know, I, I don't even need to say the word Marvel, right? Like that's like one of the biggest ones. So, you know, these, to your point, like these ones will continue on forever because um, the, it, the brands speak for themselves. So I think, I think it's only a matter of time, maybe, maybe two or three years before we see what the next chapter has in store and what James Bond will look like uh, in, the, in this later part of the 21st century. Yep. Well, we'll see Lashana Lynch next time. We'll see, man. We'll see. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, a, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. I just, I hope it works. I hope people want to. Yeah, I wanna... hope it works too, man. I hope it works. Well, I'll, yeah. I guess I'll leave it to you to, uh, to wrap up everything in a nice little package. All right, guys, this has been another episode of the Lockdown Lowdown. Thanks again for tuning in. Um, as always, tell your friends, like, share, subscribe, all that stuff, and keep it real. See you next time.